So welcome to this episode of the Holistic Woman podcast with me, Kate Payne. And I've got today here, Rebecca Rowe. Rebecca is a doctor of osteopathy, a WBFF pro with a passion for helping women train pain-free. She's a dedicated athlete herself and suffers from endometriosis and has somehow found a way to honor her needs as a woman whilst also training for the season and cycle that she is in. Her vision for women's wellness is for women to have energy and strength to live the life that they desire. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And we were just talking before we hit record that we've known each other for quite a few years now. We first met in sunny Queensland and you were just moving in at that stage to strength training and this world of I don't do you call it bodybuilding what do you call it yeah fit well fitness modeling fitness competing yeah 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 and so you're really at the very beginning of your journey back then and since then you've lived all over the place and you now find yourself back in Melbourne you've also competed overseas whilst also traversing moving into perimenopause and this diagnosis of endometriosis so we'd love for you to firstly share from the seven seasons which season you're currently experiencing and then I'd love to hear the story of what led you into the strength training and how you've balanced that with the season that you find yourself sure. in. So I would say at the moment I'm in maybe, well, pre-menopause, well, normal, um, they call it pre-menopause. Peri, perimenopause. Peri, perimenopause, yeah. So um, I still have a regular cycle, um, but I do get hot flushes at night, ah, get very hot. Okay. Yeah, so that's one thing that I've, yeah, definitely noticed. I'm 43, mm-hmm. so yeah things are definitely kind of I think starting to change as you're probably aware um perimenopause can go for say 10 12 years so small little changes is um can be occurring you know from anywhere they say 35 you can start having um changes um Mm. in symptoms so yeah I'd probably say around that perimenopause um however with my competing my um, hormone levels do change considerably. Um, mm. Last competition cycle, I lost my period several times. Mm. Um, my hormones flatlined, my cortisol flatlined. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I was not in a very good space. Obviously, the end of bodybuilding comps are not the healthiest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, these, I suppose quite critical to make sure you keep an eye on your blood work and where you're at and then have strategies of um, making sure you get yourself back to optimal health again before you get ready to go again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah I think that's something that I've really enjoyed about watching your journey unfold and you share so much of it on your Instagram page and you're really open about about those aspects of, um, you know, fitness modeling and bodybuilding that aren't the healthiest, but also you somehow manage to balance that with all of your knowledge as a holistic health practitioner, being an osteopath, you know, having a real passion for women's health. And so what has been that journey for you in moving into the strength training and then finding you know, aspects of that that aren't the healthiest, what kind of things have you been doing and how do you really start to nourish yourself as you move through those different seasons? Um, so I suppose 
for me, I don't, well, it's a lifestyle. So for me, it's not just eating Maccas or eating KFC. Um, My whole approach is to eat the most nutritious food possible um, and making sure that I'm nurturing my body or giving my body what it needs um, in each kind of, I suppose, season. So Mm -hmm. when we look at bodybuilding, you have like a build season and then you'll have a shred, a so-called shred season, or you could call it an improvement season. So -hmm. you still need to be feeding your body. Um, Your body's like a car. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if we put the wrong fuel in it, it's not going to work properly. Mm -hmm. So again, timing of, um, they say for women as well, timing of nutrients is more, um, what's the word, is more critical than men. Men have a 21 hour window to eat food after training, whereas women only have like an hour window where they need to be consuming food after training. Mm. Um, also too, if we're going into more perimenopause, menopause, it's really important to consume protein and good quality protein before you train and then also after you train. And it's also mm. important to eat more protein. Again, that um, helps with our building blocks or resynthesizing um, of our protein and our muscle um, in our body. So yeah, there are certain things that I suppose we it's important to be aware of to get the best out of your your body so that you are recovering okay because um i suppose while you're training you're breaking down or creating small little tears that's not when you actually um get better it's you train to create a stress on your body and then during the recovery is when that you your body improves so that next time you have to deal with that stress again you can deal with it better if that makes sense yeah, yeah, that makes absolute total sense. Yeah. Why 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 bodybuilding for you? Why not um marathon running or swimming? <laughs> I have run or... a marathon. <laughs> have you? Yeah. Yeah. I actually when I was in my twenties, I did half marathons. So I used to catch up with the girls and do um, running around the tan at five in the morning. Yep. And then they got into mar- that some of them were into marathon running. So I did three half marathons and I'm like right if I do this half marathon really easy I'm going to do a marathon so (laughs) I did do a marathon theory good theory (laughs) I did it in four hours and uh, two minutes I think so that's great yeah it was good I think it's just I've always been into sport I've always loved to challenge I'm very goal orientated Mm -hmm. um yeah and so I it actually kind of happened and I had friends so I had friends that were into fitness um, and bodybuilding comps when I was in my 20s and I would always watch them and be like, oh, I'd love to do that. That's something I would love to do. Mm-hmm. And then when the opportunity arose, so when I moved to Queensland, I joined a gym and the owner was uh, ex-Mr. Victoria and mm-hmm. he basically said to me, would you like to compete in a bodybuilding comp? And I was just like, yep, let's go. He's like, mm-hmm. right, we've got 16 weeks. And I was all, I already trained regularly. So um, I was already training at the gym, you know, four or five times a week anyway, um, just because I love how it makes me feel. It makes mm-hmm. me feel strong. It makes me feel powerful. It makes me, um, it gives me confidence in my body and its ability um yeah and it also helped me with my work 
So <laughs> um, being an osteopath, I have to move people around. It's a physically active job. Um, and when I don't train, I, my body suffers. Um, so I always tell my clients they actually need to be stronger than what their life um, requires of them. Um, otherwise, their body's going to break down. So I'm always one to practice what I preach. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love that embodiment piece. So from the women that you treat as patients, and I know you also now do some work with women in terms of strength training, when you see, if you look at the kind of broad section of women from menstruation all the way through to menopause, how do the requirements of strength training and what we need through those different seasons of when we're menstruating, then when we're moving through pregnancy, postpartum, and then into motherhood and then menopause, how does the the need for different aspects of the strength shift and change for those different seasons? Um, so I suppose if we're looking at uh, women when we're menstruating, menstruation affects women very differently. Some women go through menstruation and they actually feel better when they're moving. For myself personally, like you said, I was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2019. Mm -hmm. um, my period history has not been a great one. Uh, I didn't get my period until I was 20, 21. Um, okay. So that's quite late. Um, and was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't really, I suppose back then, again, if you look back 20 years ago, there wasn't as much, you know, we didn't really have podcasts or mm. um, as much information around, especially on women's health. Mm. Um, so, you know, what's polycystic ovarian syndrome? No idea. Mm. What's, uh, what do you do? No idea. Do mm. we know about the different types of polycystic ovarian syndrome? No. And it wasn't even my doctor who... I picked it up I went to like a beautician's appointment and she goes oh you've got a mark on your neck that can be an indication you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome so I went to the doctor and he was like are you pregnant are you this are you that and it was just like you know for someone that didn't really know much about female health or menstrual stuff it was like a big mm -hmm. shock to my system um, and then I had to go get an internal ultrasound that was another big shock yeah. and um they basically were like, oh, you've got 30 cysts on one ovaries, 40 cysts on the other ovaries, see you later. We can put you on the pill. Yes. Um, and that was it. And so, you know, I went on the pill, I put on mm -hmm. weight, I got depressed. I mm -hmm. hated my life, like yeah. literally hated my life. Mm. Um, and it's like, that's your only option. You know, yeah. you don't have any other support around you. So mm -hmm. obviously I went off the pill. Um, and then it was just a process of every kind of 40 days or whenever my period would arrive, yeah. it arrived. But also, <laughs> if I look back at my life, when in my 20s, I was binge drinking. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, not really taking care of myself. And all those factors have a huge impact mm -hmm. on a female's menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. So they say that, your menstrual cycle should come regularly. It should be not painful. You should mm. have bleeding for two to seven days. Um, mm. You know, the color of your period is really important. All these things should happen. And if they're not, then there's obviously a imbalance. Yes. Okay. So um, that imbalance could come from, you know, poor gut health. Mm -hmm. um, this is a huge one. 
Um, again, an imbalance of hormones. Where does that come from? Possibly maybe poor liver health you know, <laughs> um, inflammation due to an autoimmune condition or poor methylation or poor, so many things mm-hmm. um, that I think it's so important that if you are getting pain or are having problems to make sure you reach out to a specialist mm-hmm. or someone that specializes in, um, you know, reading hormones and reading the whole uh, lot. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a... That menstrual cycle one for me, I get very a lot of pain, a lot of fatigue. Mm-hmm. And for me, all I want to do is rest. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm the opposite in the sense that I the first one to two days I still have energy that I feel like I need to move. Yeah. And rest. so gentle movement and and not 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 the same kind of movement as if I wasn't bleeding, but definitely some movement. And then once I sort of get into day three or four, the fatigue sort of starts to come in, in a, not a big wave, but definitely I start to feel like then, okay, things are slowing down. I'm moving into this more yin phase, this more time for nourishment. And so, you know, again, the practice shifts and changes. So I like the way that you've said that it is, it is so unique because it Very is. Very unique, yeah. And so <laughs> for, for the four phases of the cycle, what's yep. your what's your recommendation? What's I mean, obviously you moving through endometriosis will be completely different to women without endometriosis. So what does your strength training look like during the phases of your cycle? How does it shift and change? Yep. Obviously so, during bleed time, it's very <laughs> restful. Bleed time is pretty much... It's actually only the one one day or maybe two days that I just pretty much do nothing. If I have to work, I have to work, but otherwise I'm literally um, in bed. And that has gotten better over time with obviously supplementation and changing nutrition. Um, but pretty much my strength training actually stays very the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I will just try, I have a pre-program and I will just go in and do my program and I will try and do obviously better than I did the week before um that's what progressive overload is however there are some days that I just can't mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so yeah I will just listen to my body and if I can't push that weight I can't push that weight and so mm-hmm. I'll just drop my weight down and do what I can so yeah the plan is there but sometimes the plan doesn't always go ahead because again you know the week before my period I was getting a lot of fatigue mm-hmm. um and it's just like you just simply can't push what you did last week yeah yeah <laughs> so, you just have to modify correct it is mm-hmm. and yeah like I said everyone is very unique so mm-hmm. um obviously too when you have ovulation our estrogen is higher our testosterone is higher we do have you know potentially more energy but then there are some females that struggle around that ovulation time Mm -hmm. um so again they will have pain and they might not be able to push as heavy and also high estrogen affects our ligaments so we can be Mm -hmm. a little bit more likely to get injuries um for some women that do get a more of a higher peak so again Mm -hmm. maybe sticking away from um, single leg exercise or it get, it's so it's so individual and it's so mm. dependent on the female's injury history how their body's working just yeah it's very hard to be specific yeah because we're all unique yes and it's just that reminder isn't it that we are unique and that 
we really need to have the tools to listen to our own individual bodies. And I think those are the pieces that are really missing in our modern healthcare and in our Western society is those tools to actually be able to listen and track one's own body as we move through different seasons or as we move through the different phases of the menstrual cycle. And then we know what support we need to reach out for because if we don't even know how to read our own bodies like your experience with pcos it's really hard then to reach out for support that you don't even really know that you require but you've got this lifestyle that's not supportive of how you're feeling and yeah all of those pieces combined so you've diagnosed with endometriosis in 2019 what was your journey to diagnosis because we know in Australia it can you know seven ten plus years to formal endometriosis diagnosis what was that journey like for you um so basically I was having problems with what was a potential inguinal hernia okay um and so I had to go get a pelvic ultra I had to go get an ultrasound to get my hernia diagnosed to see if it was torn or if it was just bulging through Mm -hmm. so they did the ultrasound and they're like we think you've got a cyst on your right ovary Mm -hmm. um and I was like okay so from there I was recommended to go to a specialist who did what they call a dye a uh is it a deep internal endometrial scan okay yeah um with a yeah specialist gynecologist um and so they can now pretty much do an internal uh scan and recognize if you've got endometrial tissue or yes what type of it is so the technology Mm -hmm. is um there i suppose it's just being getting recommended to the right person specialist correct Mm -hmm. the right person Mm -hmm. um so they diagnosed that i had a six, seven centimetre cyst on my ovary. It was called a chocolate cyst, which is linked into um, endometriosis mm-hmm. um, and potentially maybe some other um, endometrial tissue. So my gynecologist recommended I have surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and also while I was having surgery to go on the marina um, okay. because that had been uh, shown to have a lot of success with reducing people's pain levels mm-hmm. so for me I was also getting pain with sex okay um, so the pain with sex was probably more problematic than the pain around you know when I had my period or leading right. up to my period so I spoke to a few of my friends I didn't really want to get the marina again I'd had bad um, bad experiences with the pill and yeah. um, contraceptions contraceptives so yeah I spoke to a few friends and one of my friends was just like it's amazing it's the best thing I've ever done you know you should do it so I was like okay if it can help with my pain you know I'm gonna do it so I had the surgery and I got the marina implanted at the same time Mm -hmm. um I was also told that I could go back to work after one or two days after my surgery Mm-hmm. and that just didn't happen um I didn't recover well from the surgery I still had pain and I still had um sorry I didn't have sorry I was getting really depressed so okay. literally my boyfriend would come home and I would just be in tears 
and just mm. crying. So every day I would just cry. And I'm mm. like, what is wrong with me? And it's mm. just, yeah, sorry, it's bringing back. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, a, not a happy time in my life. And so I kind of knew from then it was the marina. Mm. Um, I was just like, this isn't right. It has to be the marina, like there's mm-hmm. nothing else. So I rang up the gynecologist clinic and I'm like, look, I need to get this marina out. And they're like, how long have you had it for? I'm like, three weeks. They're like, sorry, we normally leave it in for, you know, it takes your body to regulate six weeks, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I hate my life. I just. Wow. <laughs> yeah so I was just like no I'm just like I hate my life I want to die and they're like okay um let's make you an appointment so I went to see the gynecologist they took out the marina um and that basically helped bring all my emotions back down to a more normal state Mm -hmm. it didn't however get rid of the pain like my pain was the same right so there was no change Yes. Surgery did not change my pain. Yes. The marina did not change my pain. Um, yes. For me, it was supplementation and a change in my diet. So okay. really dropping down inflammation, yep. um, you know, getting rid of all processed foods, getting rid of gluten, um, getting rid of dairy, even mm-hmm. eggs, anything that's, you know, histamine mm-hmm. um, related and just, yeah, going back to basics. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm yeah wow. what a journey <laughs> big journey yeah. yeah big journey and want to acknowledge your awareness of your own body in knowing that the marina wasn't right and not you know to really trusting that own intuition of no it's the marina i need the marina out and pushing for that because i know there are many women who don't have that body sovereignty or autonomy and so would have waited the six weeks or potentially longer or learn to live with this this depression or this anxiety or all of these feelings of of dread because they've been told by a doctor that this is the way and I think it's a really you know it's a it takes a really strong resilient sovereign woman to be able to say no this is not right for me and i would like to have it removed and following that following that process particularly because something like endometriosis pcos all of these menstrual health conditions can be so debilitating and when you've when it's taken you know for many women because it sounds like you know you probably had the endometriosis for many years before before that yeah. and and it's because it can be such a long journey and so debilitating women are tired so by the time they get to that stage where they think that they're being given a solution you know that perseverance I can imagine is well if I just hold out for a little bit longer maybe this will work for me definitely yeah yeah definitely but yeah for me obviously wasn't the answer um yes it can still help other women um But I get, I think again, the drug that's in the pill that I had, I had a reaction to the drug then and Mm -hmm. the marina is not, and they say it's localized to the uterus area or whatever. It's not. How could it be? (laughs) (laughs) It's not. It's systemic. Like, come on. So if you have a reaction to pills or birth control, then you're probably going to have a reaction to the marina. So. You know, yes. and that's something I wish the gynecologists had, a, you know, said, you know, the same drug that was you, you know, you went off the pill, the same drug is in the marina. Yes. I wasn't aware of that. 
Um, I wish I had done a little bit more research, but mm -hmm. anyway, you live mm -hmm. and you learn. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're, you spoke about nutrition. So yes. how important is nutrition for women as we move through different seasons? Incredibly amazing. Can you, can you yeah. talk a bit, can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. So basically when you go from uh, into menopause, obviously our progesterone levels drop first and then our estrogen levels drop again. Estrogen actually gives us access to uh, better carbohydrate or getting access to carbohydrate um, and managing glucose. So when that's dropped, we don't have that there. Um, and as well, without progesterone, um, our metabolism drops down. Because so every time you ovulate, progesterone's released, it kicks up your metabolism and that's why you get a higher, you know, you get a little bit hotter. Mm -hmm. um, so we've lost a bit of that as well. So we don't have the ability to control blood glucose sugar as well. Mm -hmm. um, and generally, because we're not producing uh, progesterone, cortisol levels will go up as well. Mm -hmm. So to change your foods from being, um, I suppose, higher processed foods or, you know, quick acting carbohydrates to more um, of those slow carbohydrate sources is really important as well because we don't have as much estrogen estrogen is really anabolic so we actually need to be able to stimulate our body in different ways so again like i said at the start having a higher higher um, amount of protein um, to create more stimulus and then that's where the strength training comes in as well mm. having that strength training again to stimulate our body to hold on to our lean muscle mass mm. so yeah it's it does become more important um otherwise that's where you see as women get older they put on more belly fat mm. around again that's higher cortisol or not being able to control our blood sugar levels mm -hmm. um yeah so with this kind of practices we're able to start to reduce some of that is that is that what you're saying because i know there's a lot of women who move into the perimenopause phase they start to put on weight or they struggle to lose the weight even though they might have upped their exercise routine so they might be doing more running or more cardio or more kind of hit training and so um but my understanding is that if we swap that to what you're saying, which is more strength training, more focused on nutritional intake, that we can start to balance that out. And so really what has worked for us in our 20s and 30s and maybe into our early 40s, when we start to move into that perimenopause phase, we actually need to be in a position to really move things around. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose to again, going back to recovery. <laughs> so again, you put that stress on the body. Um, it takes longer to recover. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you may need to look at shortening your training sessions or not training every day and giving your body, again, hit it hard, but then give your body a little bit more time to recover. So mm -hmm. you might train, you know, on a Monday and then you might have a day off. Um, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, training and then training and then training and then recovery. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, they kind of, from all this work that Dr. Stacey Sims has done, is mm -hmm. he's like lift heavy, so yep. heavy, higher loads. So, yep. you know, looking to lift as heavy as you can for five or six reps mm -hmm. rather than that 15 to 20 reps. 
Mm. Um, yeah, so again, shorter and sharper rather than, again, the higher intensity, the more stress you place on your body, higher your cortisol. So it's, um, yeah, just a little bit different. Yeah. And so when you talk about nutritional intake and you talk about quality, higher protein, what does that actually look like? What kinds of foods should women be looking to consume as they move into this perimenopause phase? Yep. So your quality proteins are, you know, your lean meat, so lean chicken and steaks and um, cottage cheese or um, eggs, whole sources from whole foods pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the, I don't like to recommend certain foods for people because every like food is quite specialised, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are having gut issues, again, it's really important to reach out to someone who can tell you what types of foods are going to be best for you. Um, yeah, but generally, if it comes, I like to say, if it comes from the, you know, ocean, if it comes from a tree, if it comes from the ground, mm-hmm. it's going to be much better for you than if it comes out of a packet or, yes. from a sh- or from a shop as well, because you don't know what types of oils they've used. Um, a lot of fast foods use, you know, the uh, seed oils, which are your omega sixes and nines, which actually are um, pro-inflammatory. They create inflammation in your body rather than the omega threes, which are, you know, your cold pressed olive oils and mm-hmm. um, avocados and, mm-hmm. you know, from salmon mm-hmm. and all that kind of, um, yeah, the good omega threes. Yeah. So yeah. They're anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about sleep? How important Huge. is sleep? Mm. Huge. So again, that's our recovery time. Yeah. Yeah. That's when our body actually recovers and uh, lowers. There's um, the brain actually clears itself out too. So mm. they've done studies to show that people who don't sleep that well um, are more likely to develop. I think it's developed Alzheimer's or dementia because again, the brain's not clearing out um, the proteins and flushing it out. So if too, when you're not sleeping, your cortisol's higher, you tend to be more hungrier. Mm. Um, yeah, sleep is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about things like, particularly in those perimenopause stages, what about things like coffee, alcohol? Can you talk yes. about those? <laughs> so again, <laughs> um, I suppose women can be more sensitive to caffeine mm-hmm. um, and especially when we're in our uh, luteal phase, mm-hmm. we are more sensitive to caffeine. So for someone having coffee maybe after 12 o'clock or 11 o'clock may actually disrupt your sleep. Mm-hmm. So um, it may keep you, yeah, it may keep you awake um so that you're not getting a good sleep or getting into deep REM sleep um and alcohol is the same Mm -hmm. you might think it's relaxing you yes but it is actually disturbing your sleep um as well as making your liver um not function properly so the body will actually break down liver first before it metabolizes your hormones Mm. um so it's really important 
as we age. Yes. <laughs> yes, not to be consuming that, I think, anyway. Yes. Um, having that glass of alcohol every night. Yes. I tell most of my patients, especially the women that are in menopause, swap your glass of red wine for maybe a glass of tart cherry juice um, mm -hmm. because it will actually help raise your or increase your own natural melatonin, which is our sleep mm -hmm. hormone. Um, it's actually good for helping our joints and inflammation in our joints. And if you put it on the rocks, on ice, it can help pull your body down too um, before you go to sleep. So, yeah, what a great idea. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. Oh. <laughs> it's good for arthritis. Yeah, it's good for arthritis. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like, it's sometimes the habit, you know, yeah. of sitting down with that glass and sipping on something. So yeah. it's not about kind of taking it away. It's kind of about, yeah, just changing it to something yeah. different. Yeah, so. I think being really intentional about our choices and also being really hyper aware of the season that we're in and the physical aspects and changes happening in our body and then bringing in the tools for how we can best navigate that season because many women move through perimenopause and because it does last or can last for women for such a significant period of time, that's a long period of time to be trying to navigate really severe symptoms and whatever they may be and they're so varied um so to have this knowledge and this understanding of what's happening at a physical level and how that's then impacting our emotions and our nervous system and how that's affecting our brain and our sleep cycles and all of these things we can start to shift and modify our patterns of behavior so that we know at least then we're doing everything to support the phase that we're in and we really can't do any more than that right? well that's it yeah mm -hmm. definitely yeah mm -hmm. but definitely i think the sleep is a huge one getting to bed bed kind of before you know 10 yes. i have some women that are like oh i stay up till one o'clock at night i'm like oh wow. my gosh how do you function the next day yeah like, yeah i just so yeah having a bed routine like you know when yeah. you have a child you'll give the, your child a bed routine you know yes. it's like okay it's six it's seven o'clock time to have a shower time to clean your teeth time mm -hmm. for a bedtime story to wind down mm -hmm. and then they you, you know and then they go to sleep it's yes. like but when we get older we don't do that to ourselves you know yes. we'll stay out late we'll stay keep eating and drinking even eating mm -hmm. late like mm -hmm. can disrupt your sleep you know mm -hmm. so so, and again that will vary from person to person mm -hmm. but for me I need to have a clear two hours of not eating before I go to sleep otherwise it does tend to keep me up yes. um yeah so again going okay I need to stop eating by this time okay I'm going to have a warm shower or a cool shower just to settle my body down. I'm going to stretch or I'm going to read. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm going to, you know, making sure your room's dark, making sure your room's cool. Mm -hmm. We've just also put in our room an air filter mm -hmm. um, because I don't breathe very well. Mm -hmm. So just little things like that, again, to mm -hmm. make your environment an environment where you, you can get the best sleep possible so then you can wake up feeling energized and ready to go um yeah definitely a huge game changer mm -hmm. 
And so when is your next competition? What, what aspect of your training are you in right now? I'm in improvement season. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So trying to push hard for the next six months yep. um, to try and grow my legs a little bit more, create a little bit more shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, again, navigating around, you know, making sure that my health stays optimal. So I've just recently had, um, I've actually just done uh, six months through a gut process of phase one with a guy called Dave O'Brien. That was Mm -hmm. very interesting. He looked at my bloods, compared it to gut health. um, And we found that we had candida and yeast overgrowth, heavy metal toxicity, Mm -hmm. um, low cortisol, methylation issues, um so there were a few things that a normal doctor will not pick up a normal doctor and the doctor actually looked at my bloods and was like you're fine Mm, everything's and it was just like yeah how come I feel so crap so yeah you know again getting the right people to look at your bloods is so important um so yeah I've got my energy back we're ready to push so training will be you know four to five days um and then recovery making sure recovery using a cold showers, which is getting hard in yes, Melbourne. Melbourne winter. <laughs> uh, getting the most out of my nutrition. So making sure I've got the right amount of protein for my body, making sure I've got all those other nutrients. Um, Cause you can be micro deficient and that can mm. cause, you know, problems if you're not eating, you know, the colors of the rainbow. But for me, I've still got a bit of a candida and yeast overgrowth so Mm -hmm. making sure that I'm eating low low sulfur foods Mm -hmm. um, certain vegetables I need to stick to staying away from all the fruits and stuff I know it sounds extreme Mm -hmm. but again if you're wanting optimal health it -hmm. sometimes does mean that you need to stay away from certain foods Mm -hmm. um, because not all foods are going to be right for you yes and that's where getting you know specialists um, to help you in the direction um, is so important so yeah, just making sure I train as hard as I can every day mm-hmm. um, and recover as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, listening to my body, like if I do need to take a rest, an extra rest day, taking that day. Also making sure I get regular treatments because um, mm-hmm. your yeah, body's just like a machine. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, your car. After it's done a certain amount of kilometres, it needs a tune-up and oil mm-hmm. and a wheel alignment you know? Yes. I think we can see our bodies as we move into perimenopause as exactly that, you know, we've lived, we've lived half, half of our life potentially for many of us. And so if we think about the body then as the car, then it's, you know, it's halfway to its end of life and it does require then additional services and additional care taken to look after it, to make sure that it has, you know, that it maintains optimal mileage, et cetera, through till end of life. So if we see that as the same as women, then, you know, it's really when self-care and things should really be upped. And yet it's often a time when, the self-care is less so? Uh, I Well, I think it depends on if you've had children or not. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I feel like because I haven't had a child. Yeah. Um, my, yeah, from my 40s, I've been able to really know who I am, mm. dive in and give myself more care. I'm over the partying and the drinking yes. and yeah. so, yeah, nurturing, you know, my body is mm-hmm. my number one priority. Yes. Um, 
But I think too, like when women do have children, their body changes so much. That's nine months of carrying another human Mm. that changes the shape of the body, you know, that center of gravity shifts. Mm. So, and for some women, they, you know, their body does adapt back quite well. For other women, it doesn't. And so, you know, getting help um, to either treatment-wise, to release off the tight muscles and improve the movement of everything or and strength training, making sure you're getting the right help again um, to make sure that everything's moving in the right direction. Yes, and many women are choosing to have women or uh, choosing to have women choosing to have children or not even choosing but as it as it turns out you know with infertility on the rise you know it it means that many women are having their first child later in life so by the time they hit this perimenopause phase they may still have quite young children in their care and so yeah it is really individual and i think we just need to, I think, regardless of what season we're in, from whether we're in our 20s to whether we're in our late 40s, that we really tend to the needs of our of our body, of our nervous system, um, you know, as a as a high priority. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I think keeping it strong, because if yeah. you keep your body strong, then it gives you the, you know, they say fill your your cup up first. So, yeah, if you're keeping yourself strong, then you've got more to give um, to your family and your children well. Yes, Yes, I agree. How can (laughs) women connect with you in person, online? I know you're Dr. Rebecca Rowe, osteopath on Instagram. Where can they find you if they want to come in for a treatment or want to reach out for some support in optimal strength training for them? Yep. So they can DM me on my Instagram mm-hmm. or my Facebook page. I think my Facebook's Rebecca Rowe. Um, okay. I'm currently working in South Melbourne at the Centre for Musculoskeletal Medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, if they want to come in for a treatment, they can do that. Or otherwise, yeah, just DM me and then we can work out the best option that's going to help you. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for such a a rich and knowledgeable discussion around perimenopause, endometriosis, strength training, and all the good things. Thank you, Kate, for having me. My pleasure.